This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, a very good morning. Boker Tov, how are you doing? Boker Tov, I'm not quite sure how many of the listeners um, still maintain X accounts or what used to be called Twitter. Mm, mm. Um, I know that there's been a lot of movement around. Um, but um, there is an interesting discussion going on on X at the moment involving the ex-CEO Elon Musk. And he has come out making a statement that it was a tough call, according to what he has said, to ban Hamas's X account, which is now being mm, banned. Mm. Um, and he has been in this public discourse with a Twitter user who is a fairly um, anti-Israeli and someone who's become quite popular and followed over the last while, a user called Jackson Hinkle, um, who, mm, as I mm, said, has, has mm. become very, very Israeli, anti-Israeli anti, yeah. um, during this time. And um, they've had this debate about why the Hamas account has been banned because Jackson Hinkle challenged him saying, why have you banned the Hamas account? And the fact is that there are many other ex-users who also call for the deaths and for killing of people. And Elon Musk has come out saying that it was a tough call and that while many government leaders, including in the US, do call for killing people, we have what he calls a UN exemption rule, which means that if a government is recognized by the United Nations, then X will not suspend their accounts. But because Hamas is not recognized as a government by the United Nations, that is the reason why they feel justified to ban the Hamas X account. Um, no reference at all to the massacre that took place on October the 7th in this debate, which I found a, a, a little um, um, concerning, I would say, uh, and quite interesting. Um, but then, of course, uh, Jackson Hinkle went on to say, well, this is not only Hamas people who are calling for the killing of people, but there are also Israelis who are calling for the killing of people. And it seems as if though he has got Elon Musk to agree that this ban should be applied even-handedly and that to the extent there are other people calling for the killing of people, that they should also equally be banned. Um, I wonder what the listeners think about that. Mm. What do you think, mm. Howard? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting and important because it's this whole notion of how far free speech is, is able to go. And uh, there's a lot of pushback there. But look, personally, I'm very supportive of it. I've taken to blocking yeah. a lot of accounts that, um, that, that are spreading information, misinformation on my timeline. 
and and I just yeah. don't see the value in it. I'm happy to have a constructive conversation, but but when it becomes about misinformation and using my timeline to or, or, or platform to spread that information, I see no value in it. And in fact, I see uh, I see it as being very dangerous. Uh, misinformation is a dangerous thing. So I, I, I do um, think that the whole uh, discussion. Important. The whole discussion of freedom of speech, I think, has really come to the fore. And we saw that congressional hearing with the presidents of mm, the various mm, Ivy League mm. universities trying to defend freedom of speech and hence defend why they think that anti-Semitic behavior on their campuses is okay in the interests of the of freedom of speech. But I think you know, when it comes to looking at um, an account like an X account, I think it's not only about what is actually said, but I also think... And I think that this sort of comes out a little bit in Elon Musk's uh, statement. I think it's all about who it is. Um, and Hamas, I don't even, even if Hamas was saying the most gentle and, 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 and loving making those sort of statements, who they are means that they should be banned no matter what they say. So I think it goes both ways. Absolutely. Absolutely right. I'd love your thoughts. 34519 or 0618951019. More senior Hezbollah leaders were killed by the IDF and IDF fire into southern Lebanon. Uh, so uh, so this continues, and we've been speaking about this. Uh, the words that you said yesterday that maybe Israel is pushing this quite deliberately, potentially, and uh, you said that that is just something you've been thinking about. Uh, I kept uh, thinking about it yesterday when we're seeing more and more of these targeted assassinations of senior Hezbollah leaders. Uh, what's the latest? Is that uh, an assassination was carried out on one Hezbollah leader called Ali Hussein Burji, um, who, according to the IDF, is someone who has been responsible for commanding Hezbollah's aerial forces in southern Lebanon. Now, when we take away all the fancy words aerial forces what this really means is that he has been responsible for sending drones from southern lebanon into israeli territory and um, some of those drones have done damage um, and have been a significant threat to um, israel's northern border and that is the reason why yesterday when the idf spokesperson gave his daily briefing um, or last night rather when he gave a summary of the day's activities um, he had no qualms in saying that this was uh, an IDF operation that killed Ali Hussein Bourji. And what's interesting about the operation was that it was carried out around the edges of the funeral that was being arranged for um, the uh, victim of the previous attack that uh, the IDF is uh, reputed or, or reported to have carried out. And that one hasn't been formally acknowledged by the IDF. That, of course, is the assassination of Al-Tawil. We spoke about that mm -hmm. yesterday. Um, and uh, it also follows closely on the heels of the assassination of the Hamas official Saleh al-Aruri, all of whom were killed in Lebanon over the past few days. Um, and it, it seems quite likely, if not uh, uh, um, very likely, um, probable that um, these people were all killed by IDF operations. And there does feel like a kind of a change in the strategy and the tactics that are being deployed um, against Hezbollah. There is little doubt that, that there is a massive escalation in activities against Hezbollah. Um, and that whereas before 
in the, the weeks that have run up to um, the, the, this period, we've seen much more general IDF responses. So IDF are trying to attack uh, rocket launching mm. teams in southern Lebanon, trying to attack certain infrastructure to prevent the possibility of launching attacks against Israel. Now the IDF are going against individuals, targeted killings. Um, it's, it's different. It certainly feels different, and I think it is different. And again, you know, it's, it's interesting for me to see how far Hezbollah are willing to tolerate this before it kind of blows open. But um, the more I think about it, the more I feel that the IDF are really pushing very hard. Um, a, because there is a sense that Hezbollah are so unwilling to engage in a more direct conflict that they're willing to tolerate more than even I thought they would. I would have thought that at this stage with those two senior individuals who've been t killed by target killings by the IDF, that potentially would already have, have blown things open. But so far, not yet, even though there are clear responses. And yesterday was, again, a very, very busy day um, on the northern border with lots and lots of rocket fire, but still not quite at the moment where I would say there is a war front that's opened mm -hmm. up there. I mm -hmm. mean, it's certainly not peaceful, but there, there is a still, uh, you know, certain tactics that are being adopted. So um, this for me is very interesting. The fact that up until now, at least Hezbollah haven't come out saying, listen, the gloves are off and all, uh, you know, all bets are off the table and we're just going all out. They haven't done that yet. Um, and so there's more and more push from the Israeli side. And potentially this is going to blow things open. We just don't know exactly what will be the trigger. Uh, but I see the idea of pushing further and further and, and, and testing Hezbollah more and more as to what they're willing to tolerate. And so far, they've been shown to be willing to tolerate, I think, more than um, I expected and perhaps even more than what the IDF command uh, expected that they would be willing to tolerate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really interesting how how far this this has been pushed and uh, and still will be pushed. So Monday was a particularly deadly day for IDF troops in Gaza. What more is known about this, uh, uh, about these events? So, um, yeah, we, we, we all feel a very, very heavy pull uh, that descended yesterday, particularly over us as we, um, were, uh, we were exposed to the names of nine IDF soldiers who were killed during the course of the day on Monday. They were killed in three separate incidents, but um, six of those soldiers were killed in one incident, and there were quite a number of others who were injured and some of them quite badly injured. And the tragedy of this particular incident was that, um, once again, unfortunately, there was a little bit of an accident involved in an uh, inadvertent accident. Because um, we did discuss yesterday that the IDF had, had discovered this massive weapons manufacturing tunnel. And the IDF were working to blow that um, weapons manufacturing facility up. And these uh, troops from the uh, Combat Engineering Corps were laying explosives in that tunnel, getting it ready for the moment that that tunnel would be destroyed. And while they were in the process of laying those explosives, there was activity outside um, above ground by the Armored Corps who had spotted a, a terror cell operating in the area and fired missiles towards the terror cell that was risking the lives of IDF soldiers 
who were in the process of preparing that weapons manufacturing facility to be to be destroyed. And one of the missiles that was fired by the tank seems to have hit an electric pylon or something like that above ground. And that electric pylon caused a detonation of the explosives that were in the process of being laid slightly below ground in that weapons manufacturing facility. And unfortunately with it, many of the explosives that were being laid actually exploded while the IDF troops were still there laying the, 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 the explosives. And that's what resulted in the death of six of them and the injury of many, many others. So it's almost, almost like a work accident of some sort, almost like a friendly fire. I don't know if we really can classify mm, it mm. as friendly fire um, because, you know, this was really an inadvertent, I mean, everybody was aware of everything that was going on and there seemed to be some, co you know, good coordination, except for the fact that somehow that, that missile hit that electric pylon and caused this massive explosion of um, the explosives that were being laid. The troops were still there. The, the better news for us uh, because it's not good news, but the better news was that many of the troops who had been involved up until quite a, a short time before that incident had actually cleared out of the area. So the p troops who were actually left there were a much, much smaller number than those that had been there um, just a short while before that. And so by, in that way, um, many lives were saved and, and, and there was you know, uh, the prevention of a much greater tragedy. But of course, our hearts are very, very heavy and uh, our condolences go to those families of the heroes, heroes yeah, yeah. who have been serving in Gaza and who've been um, willing to risk their lives in every possible way in order to do what we need in order to preserve the safety and security of our country. Absolutely, it's uh, just the most, the most terrible thing. And to you, 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 you know, you just—I uh, I just got this tweet, and it's not from somebody unreasonable saying, "Well, why isn't Israel negotiating? Why doesn't Israel want a ceasefire?" As though Israel is not paying a price for this war; it's paying the most terrible, terrible mm. price. But uh, the the obviously, yeah. uh, uh, the, what would you answer a person saying, "Well, why doesn't Israel want a ceasefire?" Well, um, I, the answer is that Israel does want to cease fire. We don't want to have conflict. But unfortunately, if we were to agree upon a ceasefire right now, what we would agree upon is to maintain the infrastructure that has been built and that we haven't yet managed to destroy. Mm -hmm. And we know what that infrastructure is. We know what a risk it presents to life and limb in Israel. For example, let's just recall that over the last nine days, there have been 17 barrages directed towards Sterot mm. over the last nine days. Now, this comes after 95 days of operation in Gaza. And if we were to stop right Say now... Say that again. How many in how many days? 17 barrages of rockets fired towards Sterot in the past nine days. Wow. Okay. So, so what we are saying, if we agree upon a ceasefire today, is that we allow them to continue to have that capability moving forward. That remains intact, along with many other capabilities. And that is what we would agree to if we entered into a ceasefire today. And our objective is if we can't, um, if we can't enter into an arrangement that they will no longer 
fire towards us and risk us in some sort of an agreement, and we've already understood that that's not possible, then we have no other choice but to go in and physically destroy that capability. And until the time that that capability is physically destroyed, we can't afford to enter into a ceasefire because we can't afford to continue to live our lives knowing full well that at any moment in time, they can use that infrastructure to fire towards our civilians. And so the objective right now, now that we've got our reserve troops called up, and now that we've cleared away so many of the citizens from the Southern Front, and now that we've got ourselves mobilized, our objective is to make sure before we come out of there that we've destroyed their ability to fire rockets towards us and to risk our citizens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd love your thoughts on all of this. 34519 or 0618951019. I can't believe it's already 801. I wanted to continue, but uh, we'll do that tomorrow. That's Anthony Reich with the Israel Report. You can catch Anthony tomorrow at 745. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohn from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Tzahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all. Oh,